hour, I invite you to stand as we sing hymn number 29, At the Cross, At the Cross. You're going to be seen unless you celebrate a birthday and anniversary. Well, amen. It's good to be in the Lord's house today and to have each one of you with us. A few things from the bulletin as we start. Uh, first of all, uh, we'll have Patch the Pirate uh, program this afternoon, so I encourage you to be here. We'll get started right at 1 o'clock uh, and look forward to them. Uh, having their program. Then uh, Fall Praise Festival will be this Saturday out at the Foster Farm. Uh, start about 4.30. There's a sign-up sheet on the back table, and so you can get signed up, and uh, we'll look forward to a great time of fellowship out there. Uh, teen Fundraiser is going to be next Sunday, and so how this is going to work, we'll have our regular morning service, and then uh, we're going to have uh, 
Mexican Fiesta Teen Fundraiser, they're calling it. And uh, we'll have, uh, it'll be by donation, whatever you'd like to give. Uh, they'll have all the food and fixings uh, for uh, Mexican food. And then uh, the teens will be serving drinks. And then I think they're also have got a dessert uh, that they'll be taking part in serving. And so donations go to help with camp. And uh, so then we also ask that you donate the food. Uh, so there's a sign-up sheet back here. It's a double whammy, right? That's just the, that's the way a lot of that stuff works. But uh, we love our kids. We want to be a blessing to them. And so this is one way we can do that. And so plan to stick around and uh, eat lunch next Sunday. Be a blessing to the teens. That would be great. Uh, ladies' Thanksgiving will be next Saturday, the 5th. And uh, it's always held here at the church at 530. Uh, there's uh, more information about that. You can see Weber. She Help you there. Yes. There's a sign-up sheet also. There's a lot of sign-up sheets on that table back there. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, daylight savings time. There's no sign-up sheet for that. Um, it's November 6th, and remember to fall back. If not, uh, warm the place up and come on in, have a good time. Uh, but uh, so everything will be an hour later. Uh, guest speaker on the 13th, Brother Coon, and the youth rally on the 18th. Get down your young person rally. It's good to be in the Lord's house today and to have each one of you with us. Lord bless you for being here. Going to have Brother Foster come back, lead us in a song. We'll get Sunday school time. Thank you for being here. Join me singing hymn number 174, My Jesus, I Love Thee. We'll sing the first and the last verses. you can be dismissed to your Sunday school classes. All right, my class, you can be turning to James chapter number one, and we have handouts for this lesson. If you did not get one, please raise your hand, and they're coming in with those right now.
Everyone have one now? Okay. We are studying a series. We just started this a few weeks ago. It's not what you think. A lot of things in the Bible uh, go contrary to our way of thinking. And today we're looking at another subject along that line. And it's uh, the subject that we're looking at is count trials as a joy. How many of us enjoy problems today? How many of us just look, go out looking for them? I would say there are some people that just seem to go out and look for problems, but I'm certainly not one of those that want to go out and look for problems. But yet problems arise, um, and the, these problems that arise, we can look at them one of two ways. We can look at them uh, the way that our mind would try to process that. as a, It's a struggle, it's a discouragement, it's something that I don't want to go through, but uh, we need to understand what God is trying to work in our lives, and He's trying to, to do some things in us. We're going to look at three areas today uh, where God takes trials and He wants to uh, work them in our lives that He might produce something that is honorable to Him, that is pleasing to Him, that would help us in our spiritual walk. So that's what we want to look at today as we look at lesson number three. If you found your place in James chapter 1, please follow along as I read aloud. James chapter 1 and verse number 1, James, a servant of God, and that should be our statement as well. You can insert your name there, Steve, a servant of God, Alice, a servant of God, preacher, a servant of God. We should all want that title behind our name, that we would be a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, how would you like that? Someone come along and say, hey, Count it a joy when you have trouble in your life. Uh, just uh, think of it this way, that it's a good thing for you, and just be joyful. Well, that's what God wants us to do. And how, how do we get our mind around that, and how do we get our hearts adapted to that? Well, verse number 3 goes on to help us. It says, knowing this, how can you have joy? Well, know some things about it. That the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. That's a, this is an area or a realm where the term liberal is a good thing. We want God to be liberal towards us and, and granting us wisdom and allowing us to understand his mind and to to help us in our daily walk as Christians that we might live to honor Him. So as I mentioned before, if, if we were to pattern our life or we were to map out our life, we would, would uh, plan for us that we would have a life that is trouble-free, problem-free, and we wouldn't want to experience any of those things, that, and we would not plan for those things. Many of us would not. As I said before, there's some people that seem to seek problem. But most of us, we don't want to, problems to come into our life. But understand this, in the absence of trials, we will never learn or grow. And I think about my life and the things that God has allowed, and I just think of simple, simple things to apply this. Um, and the realm of being able to fix things, there are a lot of things when I was younger I didn't understand how to fix but I was allowed to be taught and to learn things. And now I'm, I'm not afraid to tackle many things because I understand that God can give me wisdom and help me. So He uses experiences in our lives, problems that we faced to grow us. So things I didn't know how to fix early on in my life, I know how to fix now. And I can pass that knowledge on now to my children, to my sons, and especially one that has a house now and has, he experiences problems that come up in the home. I can help him, or even with vehicles, I can help with those things. And God uses experiences like that 
to grow us, to help us to learn and to understand. And, and that's a physical thing uh, that we experience, but He also wants to grow us in our spiritual life. So He brings these uh, problems or trials into our life that He would help us to learn some things about our spiritual walk that we might be more pleasing to Him. So we have to understand that these trials are necessary, and they help us to grow in our faith. But if we focus on the problem instead of God's purpose in it, we will become discouraged instead. The book of James was written to the Jewish Christians who had been scattered abroad and were facing persecution. So you can imagine there's trouble on every front for them. Right from the start, James tells these believers something surprising. And we saw it there in our text. Their suffering could actually bring their spiritual maturity. So consider these words that we find here in our text. And the word count in verse number 2 means this. To hold, view, to hold a view, to have an opinion, to consider. So he's, he's beckoning them and he's petitioning them, My brethren, count it all joy. So consider this. Then he says also in verse 2, it says this word temptations, and that word means a testing or a trial. So consider your testing or your trial. And then he goes on in verse number 4 and uses the word perfect, and that means completion or maturity. So God wants to bring these trials in our life to build us or mold us and make us into something that is honoring to Him. And we should count that a joy that God wants to work in our life and to, to help us to be pleasing in His sight. So when a Christian's life enters a season of testing, he either draws away from God or he will choose to draw closer to Him. Our natural response to trials is to question God or bewail our misfortune. We usually don't rejoice when trials or difficulties come, but in this passage we understand that we are to do something different. We are told to count trials a joy. We are to consider trials as a reason for gladness, even though we don't like them. Trials put our faith to the test and work patience in us, that, that maturing process, that sanctification process where God wants to set us apart unto Him and make us more pleasing to Him. Trials put our faith to the test and work patience in us. They ultimately bring good in our lives and are God's way of maturing us spiritually. And we could give testimony, I'm sure, of those in here that have been saved for quite some time, and we could express how trials have grown us, where we've drawn closer to the Lord, and we've, uh, we've seen how God worked a situation in our life to draw us closer to Him and build us and strengthen us and mature us spiritually. So this is a certain thing, that in life we will experience trials. We will experience difficulties. We do not have to love them or like them, but we do need to learn from them. And we can be joyful in trials. We have to understand God's mind, and we have to understand His purpose that's working in us. And when we want God's purpose and His direction in our life, then we can count it as joy as we understand God's performing a work in me. We can understand the deeper purpose for these trials. We often refer to trials as storms in our lives. In this lesson, we're going to focus on three storms that come as a result of a trial, and we see these in the Word of God, and we see them applied in different experiences that uh, characters in the Word of God will go through, and we're going to look at some of those today. So we'll learn three reasons why we can rejoice in the work God does in our lives through trials. First of all, and we've made mention to it already, is that we understand it's an opportunity to grow. So we could call this the grow-up storm in our life. 
And as we look at young adults or young people, well, we understand the need for them to mature and to grow. You know, from the time they're a baby through those early years and through the teen years, they need to mature a lot. They have a lot of growing to do. And uh, we as adults, we still have growing to do. So we need uh, things to come in our life that God would bring and allow that uh, we might grow and continue to grow. So God desires to strengthen us in the areas where we are weak. And as good parents, we recognize areas in our children where they're weak and we seek to strengthen them in those areas. And we want to advise them and give them good godly wisdom in those areas. And God wants to do the same thing in our life where He sees weakness, He wants to help you and He wants to strengthen you in those areas. So often trials are the best way to accomplish this. You don't have to raise your hand, but during a trial, if, you're, if you love the Lord and you're certainly seeking after the Lord, then you want to draw closer to Him. You want to seek His wisdom and His will in the trial. So these times of trials and testing, they draw us closer to Him. And God understands that that's our human nature. As uh, things are easy for us, then we have a tendency to not lean upon the Lord so much. But in the difficulties, we understand that we must lean on the Lord and we draw close to Him. And He can impart His wisdom as we're open and attentive and listening to what He has for us. So we don't know exactly what we need to mature, but I'm thankful that He does. He knows what we need to mature. We see in this life, uh, in the life of the Old Testament prophet Jonah, uh, the storm that he went through and how God worked in his life uh, during this storm to work some things in him. So we see that trials grow me in revealing self. So uh, sometimes there are things in my life that have to be dealt with. They're contrary to God's word, they're sinful, and God has to deal with those. And so in order to deal with those, He has to show me from the word of God where I'm walking contrary to His way. And that's what He did here in the life of Jonah. We often think we know ourselves or what is good for us, but the truth is we don't. We don't understand all that's good for us. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And He uses trials to reveal who we are and the areas in which we need to grow. The storm in Jonah's life was to wake him up to the reality of the rebellion against God. When God ordered him to go to Nineveh to preach the gospel, he decided to rebel against the revealed will of God and go to the, the opposite direction so while Jonah was asleep in the boat, what happened? You can turn there if you'd like. We'll be in Jonah for a little bit. Jonah chapter 1, and we'll read verses 1 through 5. So as he determines in his heart he's going to rebel against God's desire and his will, he goes in the opposite direction. So while he was asleep in the boat, God sent a storm to wake him up to his condition. Jonah chapter 1 and verse number 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise! Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken." Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. 
When Jonah realized that this storm was sent for him and that no apparent relief was in sight, he ordered the sailors to throw him overboard. Even at this point, Jonah was unwilling to surrender to God. Let's continue reading in verse number 10. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee? that the sea may be calm unto us. For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Verse 15, So they took, him, took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. So, We see that this storm in Jonah's life was brought about because of his disobedience. And and we see as he goes through this, he understands that this storm has come from the Lord. Yet he still is is unwilling to repent and to turn and accept what God's desire is for his life. And what a sad state that is. But how often when things come into our life do we rebel against God? And we don't allow Him to perform His work and His way in us. And we must be obedient. We must be receptive to what God's desire is. We must listen to His voice and hearken unto Him and allow Him to direct us in our paths that we walk. Uh, but Jonah here, he said, It would be better for me if you would just throw me overboard that I would die. I hope we've not been to that point where we would say, God, would you just take me? I hope we're not to that point or have ever been at that point. God wants to use us, and when it's time for us to go, He'll let us know. (laughs) He'll take us home. But until then, we need to be obedient to Him, serve Him faithfully, and allow Him to direct exactly what He desires for our life. But here we find Jonah. He continues in his disobedience. So notice God's mercy to Jonah in sending this storm. Rather than God giving up on his rebellious prophet, He brought Jonah to a place of repentance and surrender. God is merciful. And God is gracious, and He wants to work in every one of our lives. So whatever the area of growth we may need, it is the mercy of God that allows it to be revealed through storms. Before the storm comes, we have a tendency to think that we're doing very well. And we may even take pride in our strengths. Jonah may have thought he was doing great because he was serving God as a prophet. But Jonah, what he didn't see was that he had to limit He had a a limit to what he would do for God. So he would follow God as long as it didn't involve this, or if God didn't ask me to do this. So he had a limit to what he would do for the Lord. We should have no limits. Whatever God asks of us to do, we should be willing to do it. But here Jonah had a limit to what he would do. And it wasn't until God gave a command that crossed Jonah's limit that the truth emerged. The truth is this, that he was not surrendered to the Lord. He was not surrendered. And it wasn't until the storm came that Jonah saw just how dependent he was on God for everything. And oftentimes trials reset our way of thinking. Where when things are going good, we begin to rely on self and we become self-confident. But that trial quickly reminds us that we're dependent on God. And we need Him for everything. So when God brings a storm into our lives that reveals our need for growth, He does it because He loves us and is giving us the opportunity to receive His strength. Not only does the trial reveal self, and that's very important that that's the first step, because we must understand what God sees. 
And God wants us to see ourselves from His point of view. And He sees areas of your life that are not pleasing, that are not acceptable unto Him. So He wants to show you the errors of your way. So He reveals self to you. But not only does He want to reveal what needs to be fixed or what needs to be strengthened in your life or sins that need to be confessed, but then He wants to take you to the next point here, and that is He wants you to receive His strength. He wants you to receive his strength. After Jonah was tossed into the sea, he found himself in the belly of a great fish and in desperate need of God's delivering power. He was in a desperate situation indeed. He had run away from God and his will and now stranded in a fish belly in the depths of the sea. He was depleted of his strength and helpless. God took him to a place where he understand his full dependency and reliance on God for deliverance. Humbled in his condition, Jonah chose to call out to God for deliverance. If you're still in chapter 1 of Jonah, verse 17, it says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That's a long time to think about your surroundings, isn't it? To think about what's going on, and it's a desperate situation. I'm sure he's he's very fearful during this time. But thankfully, he understands the one he needs to call out to. And we see God continuing to work in his life in Jonah chapter 2 and verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord, his God, out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. And thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Thence I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. But I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. That's a little different philosophy coming out of Jonah's mouth here. Jonah realized that his preservation had come from God. And that God was merciful in not killing him for his rebellion. He knew God had the power to rescue him from the situation and cried out to him for help. And God hearkened to his cry. Verse 10 of Jonah chapter 2. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Jonah had quite an experience. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22 reminds us of God and His mercies. I'm thankful that we serve a merciful God. It says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because of His compassions, because His compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. Every day we, make up, we wake up to renewed mercy in our life. It's available always. And God wants to extend His mercy upon us. I'm thankful God is merciful. Growth does not come about from a life of ease and comfort. As I mentioned earlier, if problems didn't come, then I would have no knowledge of how to fix things. Same thing in our spiritual life. If problems don't come, then we're naturally not going to grow. And God wants us to grow in our spiritual walk. So the pain of trials train us to trust God and rely fully on Him. So as a new Christian, a trial comes into your life, and your eyes wide open, and you're 
asking God, what's going on in my life? What, what are you trying to do? But as you go through trial and another trial and another trial, what happens? You begin to trust Him more. You begin to rely on Him more. And now, by the time you're of the age of many of you in here, when a trial comes, you immediately say, Lord, Your will be done. Whatever you would have in this trial, Lord, I understand you're in control and I'm going to trust you in it. So he's growing you spiritually to trust him more. So we are able to count trials a joy because of the good they bring. So the pain of trials trains us to trust in God and to rely on him fully. And although trials are often unwelcome trouble, they are necessary and ultimately good. It's an opportunity for us to grow. And this growth is always worth the trying of our faith. There's a story of a young man who worked hard to establish himself as a peach grower. After months of intense labor, he was pleased to see his peach orchard blossom beautifully. One day, however, an unexpected frost killed all his peaches. The man began to skip church one Sunday after another. And his minister decided to pay him a visit to find out the reason for his absence. The young man exclaimed, I'm not going to church anymore. How can I worship a God who cares so little for me? that he let a frost destroy all of my peaches. The old minister paused in silence, looking at the man with his gentle eyes, and said tenderly, God loves you more than he does your peaches. He knows that while peaches do better without frost, it is impossible to grow the best men without frost. His object is to grow men, not peaches. And that's the way we must view the trials that come in our life. We don't like the circumstances they bring sometimes, and we don't like what it costs us sometimes, but understand the outcome is far greater if we'll allow God to work in our life and to grow us. So we understand this is an opportunity to grow. The next thing we need to understand, uh, or the storm that he brings, is the trial provide opportunity for God to show. So it's an opportunity for God to grow me, but God wants to reveal some things in this trial as well. So do you remember in the New Testament the storm that Jesus calmed on board a ship with the disciples on the Sea of Galilee? After a long day of work, Jesus told the disciples to get into a boat and cross over to the other side of the sea. Exhausted, Jesus fell asleep as they crossed over. And when a great storm of wind arose, the disciples were frightened. Remember that some of the disciples were experienced fishermen, so they had no doubt been on the sea many times and experienced storms, but yet we understand here that they were afraid. The fact that they believed the boat wasn't going to survive the storm shows just how great this storm was. If you turn to Mark chapter 4, let's read this account here. Mark chapter number 4 and verse 35. And let's notice some things about this storm that comes upon them. And the same day when the the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and said unto him, Master, Carest thou not that we perish? The disciples responded in a way uh, we sometimes do when a storm brews in our life. They questioned the care of God. 
They asked the question, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Though our storm rages and we feel all alone and helpless, the truth of the matter is this, that God is right by our side. He's right there with us in the storm. And know this, that He wants to help us. So trials show me that God cares. Trials show me that He cares. How often we question the care of God for us in difficult times, even though He resides in us through the Holy Spirit that indwells us, we tend to look at the problem and not at the God who is above our problem. You know, we can look at this world and we can look at our situation that's going on around us, and we can be discouraged And if we allow ourselves, we can even become fearful to all that's going on. But we must be reminded of this truth, that God is above this world. And God is in control. And God says we are to be faithful no matter what happens. We must serve Him faithfully and uh, carry on with the commission that He's given us to do. So we need to reprogram our mind to look at a problem in a different way and look at it from a biblical point of view, look at it from God's perspective, And understand that He has already promised in His Word to be with us and to help us. Hebrews 13, verse 5 reminds us of this truth. It says, For He hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. So it's important for us to fix our eyes upon Him. Fix our eyes upon Him in the midst of the storm instead of the storm itself. When we begin to doubt and even question God's care, we need to refocus on Him. God wants us to instead turn our gaze toward Him. He wants to reveal His great care for us in our deepest time of need. The greater our trial, the greater the demonstration of His divine care towards us. You might be reminded of the lyrics of the song that we sing, Does Jesus Care? This was written by Frank E. Graff and they're a reminder of God's care for us in the midst of difficulty. He penned these words after a difficult season in his own life through which he struggled with doubt, despondency, and physical pain. During this time, however, he turned to God's Word and found comfort in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 7, where it says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. The song is based on this very verse. The song goes like this, Does Jesus care when my heart is pained? Too deeply for mirth or song. As the burdens press and the cares distress, and the way grows weary and long. So the question is posed in the verse. And then in the next verse, more questions. Does Jesus care when my way is dark, with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does He care enough to be near? And then the chorus goes on to answer the questions in the verses. Oh yes, He cares. I know He cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. What great words to this hymn that we understand that our Lord cares for us. And I love how He penned that word that His heart is touched with my grief. He understands your pain. He understands what you're going through. But know this, He cares. And He loves you. And He wants to help you and strengthen you in your trial. Christ cared for the disciples even though He allowed the storm. And when the storm came and the disciples found Him asleep, they felt abandoned. 
But what they didn't know was that the storm was the setup for a mighty work Christ was going to do. So we see that the trial is to show us that He cares. Not only that He cares, but that He can. Shows us that He can. So as Jesus was awakened from His sleep by the disciples' cry, Jesus rebuked the wind, and instantly the sea became calm. So we've seen two instances here of God's power. We saw it in the life of Jonah where He spoke to the great fish, and the fish responded. And we see here that even the wind and the seas obey the Lord. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 39, And He arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. You can imagine being one of the disciples on board this ship as Jesus Christ awakes and immediately beckons the wind and the wave to cease. And what a miracle that they experienced. Immediately their fears were relieved. And they're all inspired. Clearly they had forgotten who was with them in the storm. How many times do we forget who's with us in our storm? God is always with us. And He loves us so much and He wanted to be with us in such a way that He, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, is with us always. And He goes where we go. And He goes through the trials that we go through. So He is there. So the author of the storm Himself is in the storm with you. They had allowed the storm to distract them from the all-powerful One who alone could calm the storm. And He was right beside them. Sometimes we assume that trials are always the result of sin or a part that, on the part of someone. But sometimes trials are simply a backdrop for God to work a miracle. This was the case of the man in John 9 who was born blind. If you turn to John 9, we'll read this text in just a moment. The disciples had thought that the cause for the blind man's disability was a result of sin. Jesus told them that the purpose of the man's blindness was to display the glory of the Lord. It was for others to see what God could do. So let's look at John chapter 9 and verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of Him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh, when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When He had thus spoken, He spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went His way, therefore, and washed, and came seen. So we must understand the purpose that God has in trial. Every trial is an opportunity for God to show His omnipotent power. It allows God to show Himself strong on our behalf, displaying what only He can do. And again, He's bringing us to the point where we understand and are renewed in this thought that we have to rely on Him for everything. We are fully dependent on Him. And in a trial, He wants to show His power and show it on display for others to see. If we do not face impossibilities, we will never see God do the miraculous. 
So our picture of God is so limited. How often do we ask God to demonstrate His power in a time of trial? We need to ask Him to show Himself strong. When He reveals His power in our trial, our faith is strengthened. And when others see His mighty work, they join in giving Him the glory He deserves. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God wants to display His glory. And He may have brought a trial to your life that would be an opportunity for you to allow God to work and to allow Him to perform a miracle that others would see God's glory and be drawn to Him. There may be fearsome storms come into our life. We may have just come out of one. Maybe we're in one. Or maybe one's coming. Rather than sinking in fear, call upon God to demonstrate His power. Then patiently wait upon Him in faith, believing that God can and will save you with His mighty hand. We often think only of ourselves through our trials. The trial you're going through, however, might not only be for you, but for those around you. It might just be the perfect opportunity for others to witness the reality of God in your life. Remember, God's performing a work in each one of us. And He's desiring to mold us and to make us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He knows the very best way to do that. So he's going, He may bring things into your life to help you on that journey. And then as He works these things and He grows you in these areas of your life, think about those that come along after you that may go through the same trial and you're able, able to come alongside and to share with them the goodness that God sh- showed to you during your trial. And how He grew you. And you become a help and you be able to show God or show them God's glory through that trial that you experienced and help them in their walk. So we see that we have a storm brought into our life. It may be to grow us. A storm may be brought into our life to help us understand and for God to have the opportunity to show His power. But lastly here we see a storm that others might have the opportunity to know. So when we undergo trials and experience divine deliverance, the people around us have the opportunity to see that there is a true and living God who is real and at work in our lives. And our trials become a platform to display the reality of God to the unbelievers. And this was the case in the Apostle Paul's shipwreck. Held captive on the ship headed to Rome, Paul warned the captain early in the journey of the storms ahead. But the captain turned a deaf ear to his advice, and he continued to sail. And we won't take time to read it now, but you can find the story in Acts chapter 27, and we see that truly the storm came, just as predicted. The storm arrived, and everyone on board the ship soon found themselves in a desperate situation, with no hope in sight. Paul, however, had a relationship with God, and he had a close relationship with the Lord, and he understood that God controlled the storm. And he realized that the storm was the perfect opportunity to speak up for God before the group of unbelievers. So we see here that trials help others to know the importance of a relationship with God. So he may be using a trial in your life that you might be uh, able to share what God is doing in your life through the trial to those who do not yet believe. Paul told those on board that God had sent him a message. He told them that he had a word from God who was in control of the storm. These words, no doubt, not only brought others reassurance in the storm, but they demonstrated the importance of having a personal relationship with God. 
It's important for every individual to have a personal relationship with God. And God may be using us to invite others to that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The essence of life is to know God. If you, like Paul, are already saved, remember that the storms in your life can show others how significant it is to know and to walk with God. Do those around you see that you have a personal relationship with the Lord? Is there a difference in the way that you face a trial than from those in the world who do not know God? When you rejoice in your trial and rely on the promises of God, others will observe the difference because you have God in the picture who is more than able to help you. And then quickly here, the last point, trials help others to know the importance of a reliance on God. So we need to, first of all, have a relationship with Him. Then we must remember we have to rely on Him. When an unbeliever goes through a trial, he has no one else to turn to but himself. But we as believers have a great resource. We have an advocate. We have the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Himself. And when we rely on the Lord for grace, strength, and wisdom in our trial and trust in His purpose for it, others have an opportunity to see the significance of a full dependency upon God through faith. Paul used a phrase that helps us to see that we must not only know the truth, but we must also depend upon the truth. So it's one thing to have a knowledge of the truth, but it's another thing to act upon that truth and to live it in your life. In Acts chapter 27, verse 25, it says, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me, howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. Knowing the truth is not enough. We must believe that God will perform His word. So Paul could be confident in the storm because he had believed the Word of God. And we can be confident in the storms that come our way, knowing that we have a faith and a trust and a dependence upon God, a God who is faithful, a God who is all-powerful, a God who is all-knowing. And we can have full faith and trust in Him in the midst of our storm, storm, as Paul did. Likewise, our confidence comes from trusting in God and His promises. God has already given us His Word the problem is that we often do not depend upon it. When we depend upon God's Word through the difficulty, those around us have the opportunity to see just how trustworthy our God is. So count your trials a joy. View them from the perspective that God brings them and allows them into our life, knowing that He wants to grow us, He wants to strengthen us, and then He wants the opportunity to show Himself through us to others who still need to believe, those that may not be fully depending, that they can see our full dependence on the Lord and how the Lord provides and how the Lord strengthens and how He encourages and how He grows us in the midst of those trials. God has a great work that He desires to do in every one of us. We simply need to submit to Him and allow Him to do a work in us to mold us and to make us into what He desires for us to be. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful today for how you work in our lives. And Father, it's contrary to our way of thinking, but I'm thankful that your ways are higher than our ways. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to trust in you, that we would understand our full dependency upon you. And as trials come into our life, I pray that we would count it a joy, that you would still desire to work in us and to work through us. And Father, I pray that we would be fully submissive to you and to your Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, that we would walk with you and that we would talk with you and that we would allow you to direct us and allow your word to flow through us to others who still need to believe. Father, I pray that you work in every one of us, draw us closer to you, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for your kind attention. We have about 10 minutes and we'll meet right back in here for the worship hour.